0: Greetings future fossils, this is Michael Garfield welcoming you to another episode of the show that explores plural futures, deep time, the questionable and fluid boundaries between the human and the non-human. It's understandable that in a time as metamorphic and centrifugal as our own, a time when the planetary scale of human society and cultural activity invites deeply disconcerting speculations and an unflinching gaze into and embrace of the wicked problems that face us but for precisely the same reasons that these years might be remembered by the future shock the recalcitrant extremism the divisive identity politics and the superlinear growth of a complex and fragile infrastructure upon which early 21st century global society depends and which is also rapidly eroding the ecological base upon which any kind of society depends. Well, these same conditions, this same moment, can be told in a different way. And I think it's important to balance the criticism and the catastrophic thinking with an affirmative and hopeful view a sense for how the unique conditions of this moment prepare us for unprecedented and extraordinary possibility this is a very lively vein of discussion in both science fiction and the ethics of technology the crucial importance of telling stories about futures in which we would actually like to live I used to say that imagination is our greatest natural resource, but lately I've been thinking it's actually attention. It's it's what we put our attention on that is energized, that grows, and there's something problematic about even seeing the world that we have as a set of problems to be solved. So for this episode of Future Fossils, I want to take a breath and celebrate All of the amazing work that's being done in communities across the globe. Networking, synthesizing, sharing, remixing, and implementing an entire planet's worth of wisdom, intelligence, and talent to the aim of improving our world for everyone, human and non-human alike. In this episode, we bring back my friend Magenta Siba, community organizer, exemplary leader as servant, and ECO, or Executive Creative Officer for the Bloom Network, which is hosting their Pollination Unconference this coming weekend in San Francisco, a kind of hackathon for regenerative design and cultural practice. Serving in the way she does, Magenta has become a kind of living repository of. Inspiring ideas and examples of how people are already, right now, as you listen to this, working to restore everything that humankind has exploited, over-harvested, taken for granted. We're at the beginning of what seems to be a centuries-long project of leaving the world better than we found it. But of course, some of us have been at that project for millennia, Uninterruptedly As with all futures Some of the best futures Have been lingering here Unannounced Or undiscovered For ages already And in this sense I see my work And Magenta's As deeply aligned Just doing our part To help people With good ideas Get those ideas To everyone Who would benefit To serve by weaving As a new Planet-wide Ecosystem of best practices emerges out of the chaos and confusion of the decline of late capitalism. Magenta is a marvelous human being, and I'm excited to share this with you. But first, I simply want to thank new Patreon supporters Russell Wilkerson and David Campbell for joining the Future Fossils Book Club and availing themselves to the cavernous repository of exclusive rewards I have for Patreon supporters A deep and sincere thank you to everyone who has been supporting me and this show on Patreon. It's helping me keep it independent. It's helping me find the time to do this amidst my numerous other jobs. It keeps this show free of advertisements. And crucially, it means that I'm not beholden to playing the social maneuvering game of so many podcasters, trying to get celebrity guests on the show and grow their audience. A listener-supported program means I'm able to maintain total integrity for you in picking out the guests and discussion topics that I think matter, not just the ones that'll score a bunch of extra listeners. If you'd like to support the show in some more fleeting and ephemeral way than a recurring monthly donation, I have hours and hours and hours of pay-whatever-you-like music available at michaelgarfield.bandcamp.com or you can donate to the show on Venmo at Future Fossils. Thank you so much for listening. I'm really excited to share this conversation with you, which really is just the very tiniest tip of the amazing worldwide community of communities that is the Bloom Network and the wisdom, intelligence, and creativity that it carries. Give it up for Magenta Siba, and I'll see you next week. Magenta, it's exciting to have you on the show for the third time, although only the second time that anyone's going to hear.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so we had this, you know, we're, this is actually kind of an old theme on the show that we have uh, lots of lost or renegotiated recordings. And, you know, I think that both of us agree that, that this is uh, a conversation that was full of so many excellent ideas, but it could have been had much more efficiently than our last call, which was like half personal catch up. So it's a pleasure to have you back on the show.
1: Thank you. I'm happy to be here. And I was so happy to catch up with you. It had been a long time and we both had a, a a lot of things that changed in our lives and our kind of work and uh, cognitive and
0: art lives as well. Indeed. You know, I think the, the right place to start this is simply by, vocally admiring how far you have come since we met and how awesome it is to see you step into these positions of leadership and to watch your role within the Bloom Network do what it does, namely Bloom, over the last few years and to see to see you in uh, such a position of, of service to this international network of badasses. So why don't we start there? What, what exactly do you do for the Bloom Network and what is the Bloom Network?
1: Sure, um, the short version is I'm pretty much kind of our backend engineer, kind of our backend systems engineer, which maybe I'll explain in a second. Um, so Bloom Network is basically an international community of what we call regenerative culture makers. So it's people who are in their companies and in their neighborhoods and in the way they are with people trying to shift the way that we are as a society toward greater resilience, um, more anti-fragility, creating the conditions for more life and energy to circulate. Um, It's kind of helpful to think of it maybe as the opposite of extractive cultures where you're kind of taking more than you're putting back in or where your company is kind of set up to siphon resources and money upward toward kind of structures of inequality. And we're kind of seeing the really intense um, consequences of that process uh, across the whole planet now. So we've really, for the last 10 years, been preparing, we host uh, events locally to help people form solidarity networks across different social movements and um, kind of different industries who are starting to adapt how they work um, to be more friendly to life on earth and more socially equitable um, and this kind of thing um, because a lot of the tools that we need today and practices to rebalance our systems and to come into better balance with ourselves, our health, and the health of our ecosystems locally, are they're all there across the whole planet. and it's kind of like they're just not evenly distributed. Like it's kind of hard to see that they're there unless you have kind of run into it. And they're kind of there in little subculture pockets. And some of those subcultures kind of developed in a particular like aesthetic or political bent that doesn't really translate to the large number of people that need those practices. So for example, people who are doing, um, permaculture or say restorative justice, um, which is a practice of instead of putting people in prison, you do like a community oriented process to kind of resolve, um, the harm that was done and make sure everyone in the situation has what they need and has better outcomes. It's way cheaper. I'm shocked. Not more people know about it because it is like, I don't know, 10,000 X better of a way to approach things. Um, And so really, the function that we serve is to help more people find practices like that and provide a platform, both in person on the ground through events, and also through an online infrastructure of communications and relationships that we maintain through like our rhythm of video calls. And we're starting to get our kind of messaging and storytelling dialed um, to help, you know, circulate information and resources uh, locally and internationally so that we can adapt to things like climate change and migration and extreme in, in- extreme in- income inequality. Because um, a lot of these initiatives that are working on this stuff are really strapped for resources. Like I said, they're really marginalized, hard to find, um, in some cases, actively combating oppressive forces that are bearing down on them. Um, and so... Our kind of our function is to kind of short circuit the the I don't know the way the system currently works that kind of suppresses all that stuff and directly support each other and increase our capacity by building stronger networks of resource sharing, information sharing, um, supporting each other, lifting each other up, forming regenerative relationships with each other. Um, and so, really, my role is I'm kind of like on. It's helpful to visualize it as I think I'm kind of on walkie-talkie with people, with community leaders all over the world who are dif- working in these different movements. The local Bloom chapter leaders are kind of like medicine people in their cities in a certain sense. Like they're really deeply listening to the ecologies where they live, um, the different cultures of people who live there and um, the different kind of structures and then kind of tuning in and producing events that help people kind of restore right relationship with each other. And it's really hard to explain exactly what that's like, but it's like a really beautiful experience of a common space and um, healthy community. And so we're really kind of just lighting the fires again since we separated from our former parent company Evolver. And um, so yeah, in some ways it's like the beginning of what we think of phase two of our work because We've really been around for about 10 years, um, just previously organizing under a different name.
0: That's actually a really important point to bring up, I think, because what's in a name? And, you know, there's something about the time, you know, you and I met when we were both part of this Evolver Network and really, you know, active in the Reality Sandwich website community that it was attached to. And both of us have been affiliated with a number of different orgs back in that time you know like 2007 to 2012 that I look back on those orgs now as thinking that they were really trying to quote-unquote push the river and that the very notion of an evolver network that it's somehow seeding some sort of potent evolutionary change that it's you know avant-garde or about, you know, it's, it's on the prow of this international evolutionary regime change. You know, I look back on those and it seems so foolish to frame everything in that way, as though, you know, there is a, uh, as that we're like rescuing the world or, you know, that we're providing solutions that people don't already have. And I know that that wasn't precisely the rhetoric of Evolver, but so many of the people mixed up in that were talking that way at the time, Whereas it seems as though now there's a much I think a much healthier framing around just catching the change as it happens and integrating it and getting the good innovations to the people that need them. And it's more like running a uh, like an, one of those old phone switchboards than it is like actually catalyzing anything in particular. Am I making sense?
1: You are making sense. And I would honestly say, I mean, I don't think this was visible at the time, but there was a huge conflict th- pretty quickly between the local organizers and the people controlling the messaging in New York, like the people who were technically the headquarters of the company. Um, basically, the local chapters like self-organized. They were meeting each other online and they're like, hey, let's get together in, in person with each other. And they kind of self-started their network with a donation from Sean Parker. Um, But I'm not sure the New York guys, like, knew what to do with that entirely and, like, how quickly it scaled up. Um, So we were the whole time trying to tell them, like, hey, the way you're messaging is really problematic and damaging. And you're directly saying things that are, like... Um, you know, kind of achieving the opposite of what you're trying to do. And your messaging is racist and classist. And there's a lot of really intense misogynistic and sexual abuse stuff happening. And this is not okay. And yeah, I mean, I probably don't want to go into that too much right now. But um, that the, the messaging that was coming out of the company in terms of through the channels um, was not really what was going on in the network on the ground.
0: Well, you know, I think, you know, what, what I want to point to more than any kind of critique of what Evolver was or what it became is simply that it feels as though that the changes that have been made in rebooting this as the Bloom Network are a lot more honest to the type of work that's being done and the paradigm in which it is understood, namely I think that you know the dominant sort of metaphor for all of this has been the mycelial rhizome and even beyond sort of the grassroots networking it's this notion of global biomimetic distributed decentralized and emergent in that respect and that there is there's something a lot more horizontal and a lot more ecologically inspired in thinking about it in terms of you know the old Chinese adage, let a hundred flowers bloom, than in imagining that we are sort of doing anything to precipitate what most historians would recognize as, as something that is so vast and so complex that it, there's no way that we can point to any group of people as having been the cause of it. So at any rate, I would like to spend most of this call with you digging into the various ways in which regenerative thinking and design are manifesting. You listed a couple at the beginning, but I'd love to click on that and open it up, as it were. Sure. So I guess the first thing is, you know, how does this thinking manifest in these different terrains? And one of the first and and most interesting, I think, in terms of trying to organize this conversation in in a meaningful way would be to talk about the software development projects that the Bloom Network is taking on and how the way that those projects are coming together is an expression of this kind of thinking.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, I can do my best there. We're actually... um, We're producing a hackathon in San Francisco next weekend, um, August 17th and 18th. It's called Pollination. Um, And we'll be doing... Um, I think a full on like roadmap after that, but I can kind of explain what's happening at the moment. So we ideally would not like to take on building out the tools ourselves. What's kind of happening is that there are different crews that are building different pieces of critical infrastructure for this more decentralized network Multi entity, like community owned, co- in a lot of cases, actually cooperative, um, like ecosystem of initiatives and organizations and businesses and freelancers and everything. Um, so, a few of the critical pieces of infrastructure um, so, there's these things called DAOs or decentralized autonomous organizations. Um, they are possibly more aptly named. Uh, smart organizations because they run on what are called smart contracts that automate permissions and um, the execution of contracts and financial uh, transactions and stuff like that. Um, And so this is, there's a few, and this is happening on different blockchains. So um, Ethereum is the uh, t- the tool that we're probably going to get set up on is called Aragon. It's built on Ethereum and they're building the world's first, what's called digital jurisdiction. So that means the companies that form there are digitally native um, and it's possible to distribute money and make decisions across different countries um, very quickly and efficiently and with higher fidelity of um, kind of deeper wisdom uh, in terms of how voting it's possible to do voting in the blockchain with like much more sophisticated permissions and kind of allocation structures. Um, Yeah. Without getting too much into the details, there's kind of a primer on our website called what is a DAO, D-A-O. That'll give you kind of an intro. Um, So, that uh in, this is basically enabling um one one of the the i I don't want to quite say breakdown but one of the changes that's happening in organization and company structures as it becomes more possible to work from home and as we're pushed into the need to collaborate across different organizations and different sectors so for example Um, corporations and nonprofits and grassroots communities are often needing to collaborate because of the severity of the environmental um, situations that we're starting to face. Um, And also with machine intelligence and everything, there's just a technological advancement that is pushing the limits of how our kind of siloed entity structures have arisen over history. Um, in terms of, you know, dominant kind of colonialist structures, but that's a separate topic. Um, So, yeah, Aragon is a thing. Um, There's a couple other companies that are building things. What's the other company's name? Um, Starts with a C. Colony is another DAO structure, but it's basically you can, what's happening through Bloom Network is we're actually weaving together the business models of these different regenerative crews that are coming together. And so you're, you're able to um, almost like automate how the uh, finances get sent in those structures. And like I said, through, through blockchain and cryptocurrency, the transaction is nearly instant. Whereas if I send a wire to Australia there's at least three days delay, I think, um, and there's a pretty high fee. And so it's way less expensive to do it through cryptocurrency. It's instant. Um, you can do it to places that don't have banking infrastructure, which is actually a lot of the world. Um, and it enables kinds of freedom and political resistance as well, um, because it's possible for a lot of those channels to be encrypted. So that's a kind of a separate topic, and sometimes sometimes I describe my role with the Network as a very strange version of a security person, (laughs) both because of um, the kind of political activism things, but also in terms of, like, community structures and how do you build organizations that are resistant to power abuse, and I think that's what we're, it's interesting, like, it was really valuable what we experienced through Evolver because we saw the just the normal patterns of companies, honestly, and like leadership infrastructures and um, kind of learned, okay, how we, we, I mean, we spent like four years designing, how do we build a structure that enables the right kinds of leadership so that indigenous people's leadership is included and listened to. And so that um, the bioregional wellness of a region has primacy over a company that theoretically could destabilize that um and how do you set those kinds of like permissions and then the cultural things in place so um like how do you address when a conflict comes up in community in a way where you address it head-on in the moment and if uh, you know if a person it's some kind of trauma they have coming up you have the healer support that they need to move through that or if someone's you know just has like blindness in terms of how they are being Abusive or oppressive, you have the community tools to unpack that together, and you know take that person aside and kind of help them um, come into good relationship with community without being culty about it. <laughs> um, so that's a couple loads of the things. Um, there's another tool we're looking at using called uh, Profinder, um, which is a software that uses augmented intelligence to efficiently match expertise across different um, disciplines. So it's usually used within one very giant corporation to match talent across departments that might not be talking to each other. So if they're like, we need this super hyper specialist to work on this project, you know, our division here in this other city has them on this project. And the AI basically learns over time from the skill sets that people have to match like, oh, You're looking for X, and we realize you probably don't have the vocabulary to know that in this person's language, that is actually B, C, and D. So we're going to add those search terms to the system for you so that you can find it, Um, which I think is really interesting. And So they made an open instance of that called Global Change Collective where they're like, oh, hey, this would actually be... They're a bunch of surfers, like the guys who are in the company, so they really care about the ocean. And they're like, hey, this would be really helpful to use for climate change if we like made an open instance of this for big networks who are focused on climate change and all its connected issues um, to collaborate and share resources and expertise with each other. So, for example, if you're looking for a person who understands how to use carbon credit markets so that you can support... A regenerative agriculture solution for drawing down carbon by building greater soil health. Um, but you're a you know a farmer or soil scientist, you don't know anything about the financial side of carbon markets, whatever. And um, so you can find in that system that kind of match, and um, you can it has a lot of dials and filters, so you can look for people, you know, to actually pay them and hire on, or you can look for um, a volunteer or just like a one-off advice, that kind of thing. Um, So that's an interesting communication tool that we'll be using. We also use Zoom. So regular Zoom calls as a whole community and then kind of, sort of like an ongoing unconference where people can schedule panel discussions with each other. So for example, if you're looking for business models for open source software projects that are, you know, sustainable and support the team, you know, we can do a panel on that and help people learn um, what the best practices are, or we could have a community conversation about something or a training on um, decolonization. What is that? Why is that not a metaphor? Stuff like that. Um, And the kind of those Uh, calls help a lot of networking and partnership building and coalition building happen. Um, It's pretty easy, lightweight way um, to help people kind of self-organize. And we've been kind of straying away from doing something like setting up a forum or having a social network in the way you usually think of it, partly because those structures tend to enable either shallow communication and, or we just don't have like the paid staff power at the moment to moderate a forum because of the like wide range of types of people who show up. Um, we really need moderators cause like conflicts can come forth because of the, it's just like bringing so many different kinds of people together in a room. Um, and then text communication just makes it tricky. So one of the ways we've been designing our I don't know if you call it a social network or a mobilization network. <laughs> we, we don't know what word to use yet, um, but it's more like person to person, self-organizing peer to peer and across these different entities and tools. So there's a crew on Aragon. Aragon itself has this like really interesting decentralized entity structure where they have different project teams building different pieces of their thing. Um, and those teams are also in the Ethereum ecosystem, often working on another project too. And this is similarly how Bloom Network works. Like our programs are usually run by a collaboration of three to six teams um, coming together to build a thing. Anyway, um, by the end of the year, they'll have a project management suite set up on Aragon that is designed specifically to do something like what Asana or other project management tools would do. Um, but in a fully decentralized context so that companies can collaborate across each other, can pool funds and each kick in, you know, whatever their commitment is to doing that development build um, or the community. You know, some other totally unrelated community could be like, hey, we want to sup- support this. We're going to put 30 grand in. Um, and it just kind of like makes all of that really easy and is like natively built in that structure. I think that's like one of the things we're finding is I, I'm almost starting to call them like, old paradigm software companies like Facebook, Google, um, just purely in terms of the business structures that they grew within are, we're at a phase transition where something else is, is happening and coming together. Um, so yeah, that's end of rant on that.
0: <laughs> so there's a lot in there, but I think the through line that I keep finding is that each of these, initiatives, each of these these ways of implementing this kind of thinking seems to be indicative of a longer timeline than the timeline that we're used to and also a structure that is more, uh, to use the business organizational term, agile, more fluid, more adaptable, and more responsive than the way that we've been doing things. And there's it's kind of an interesting... You know, I don't. I don't want to oversimplify this and just say that you know we're getting back to like a seven generational thinking. But it does seem as though the timescale within which regenerative projects arise is a timescale that people are thinking about deeper histories, further futures, but then also how to organize and continually reorganize in these. Uh, adaptive structures that are aware, like you talk about a phase transition, you know, that are aware that we can't just settle on a good idea and ride that into the sunset. Um, So there's, there's something about a different way of planting ourselves and our collaborations in time here uh, that it's it's stretched on both sides. And I don't know if you care to speak to that at all, but I mean, certainly, you know, being in this position has, Put you into conversation with a lot of people who think about time in different ways and certainly that seems to be assisting in the movement towards more and more as you put it resilient and anti-fragile projects and implementations
1: yeah I think that's generally recognized among people who are using the term regenerative and probably outside of that for sure um, For example, I think regenerative agriculture, one of the problems they have right now is the timelines to profitability with getting a regenerative farm set up. It's like in the end of that process, it has higher yields and less work to get those yields, and it draws down carbon, and there's like all these other benefits. However, the time cycle for that to happen is beyond the time cycle that financial institutions are designed and will even the most progressive kind of innovative of them are it's beyond their horizon of when they're able to um kind of get back their loan and the interest and everything so um I need to touch base again with Gregory Wendt. Um, Hopefully he's still coming to Pollination, um, but he's a friend that I know. He's actually one of the original founders of Revolver way back when it was like a print magazine and a kind of loose idea for a sustainable business network. Um, But he's been working in the regenerative. Basically there's a bunch of um, like finance experts working on that problem in the regenerative agriculture space because they think that that is such a, a... good place to aim as a carbon sink and it solves this whole stack of social problems actually, um, that they're trying to figure out how to direct, I think it's something like $3 trillion. I can't remember the amount, but they have like done those calculations of like what's needed, um, to do the scale of that piece of what's possible to, um, help draw carbon down and rebalance the biosphere. Um, So that's just one example. Um, Another example I would say is when you're um, the kind of community conversations and building community, you know, building trust is a slow process, especially in contexts where trust has been broken and historical relationships between groups have conflict and/or you know, hurting each other over time, um, or one, one group hurting another group and that that that's just a slow process that humanity is gonna have to go through um and hopefully we get better at it over time but it's interesting like the people are really scared right now um with the different kinds of pressures and changes that are happening really fast and a lot of people are under under a ton of economic stress In, in the u.s the financial situation for, I think most people here is pretty gnarly Um, hand to mouth. Can I pay rent? Um, If something happens, I'm so well, like the stress levels of that are really intense and then all the disasters and stuff. So um, with the, yeah, all that stuff. So slowing down and having the spaciousness to look at these conversations while the speed of technology and the speed of change is like increasing is, I think, physically difficult for people. Um, and that's one of the things we're focusing on at Pollination and in the kind of like conference design innovation we've been doing there that we want to bring to other conferences and contexts as well is, you know, how do you give people the embodied capacities to? Um, and the in the kind of framework tools to enter into um regenerative business frameworks where you have longer time scales but it's also kind of a full stack process of not business as usual you just set up a machine and run it and it generates money it's like yeah thinking through all those factors having the complex systems design conversations it's a like a learning curve for people and um yeah, the, the arcs of timescale are longer. I really think Bloom Network itself is a hundred year game. It's almost, honestly, it's like a moonshot, (laughs) moonshot, hundred year moonshot to like rebalance the planet and help less suffering people, help less suffering happen. And really like a, it's almost like this political activist thing on my end of holding this utopian narrative of it's possible for it to be like this, like, our architectures can be made of living materials and our whole infrastructure for building doesn't have to be toxic. I think the building industry is like the second, I think that's the first most polluting industry on the planet. And second is textiles. And then military is, I think, usually not accounted, but it's also a huge polluter. I don't know where that puts it. Um, But it's possible to even just building like do that completely differently. You can use hempcrete these days, which could be grown locally. Um, Concrete is like really carbon intensive, apparently, to produce. There's a company that makes um, kind of like a, I forget what it is, it's like a machine retrofit and automation system for running energy more efficiently. I think it's actually the motor or engine in in a building that um, greatly increases energy efficiency. You can make net zero buildings. Um, you can make net positive buildings where they actually produce more energy and that can be sold back into the grid and be a revenue stream. You can have closed loop cycles of like water and aquaponics and like permaculture gardening in and above and near a building. Like, and I think these would be like healthier habitats for people. Um, I actually came across a guy. His name is Bobby Fishkin. His crew is called Crowd Doing, and they're doing this really interesting impact research project with the plan to eventually implement it of doing I think it's called biophilia, and they're looking at living walls inside of hospitals. So having plant walls, and they're like running all the statistics on the how it improves patient health and well-being and outcomes of cases and and things like that.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a beautiful example of reaching deeper into our history and receiving rather than pushing, where it's like we seem to be as a species coming around after, you know, Italian futurism and and all of these other movements that we're so preoccupied with completely redefining the world on our own terms. And we're coming back into a receptivity to working with things as they are working with the human body and our nervous system that was evolved in a particular setting and accepting that we only radically change the environment to which we are adapted at our peril. You know, so the the biophilia, you know, living walls in, in hospitals and, and apartment buildings and so on is a really great example of this. I, I wanna loop back around to the restorative justice thing as another instance where it's clear that taking a multi scale approach is really beneficial here. You know, that working in that way with a, a sort of fractal understanding of different layers of time and the way that things, those layers play out together. The crime and punishment model, I was just talking to this researcher at SFI this week, Rajiv Sethi, whose book Shadows of Doubt explores all the ways that the stereotypes that we form of one another contribute to the crisis of police shootings and mass incarceration in the United States, and that it's a function of the fact that we don't actually have time to get to know one another, that we have to create categories, that we have to treat each situation as like something we have experienced before, simply because we don't have the available mental funds. This is a complex metaphor, but like I'm thinking about this in terms of what is being regenerated here is it's like we farmed out, we like ruined all of our topsoil culturally, not just ecologically. And that we have nothing to like sink into and grow into together. And that if we're going to restore that topsoil, that it's going to take an investment of time and attention into fostering the kind of restorative dialogues that are necessary that is currently not really supported by The economic systems that are in place, you know, that force us into all of these really sort of hit and run exchanges, both online and offline. And so, I don't know, I'm trying to get at the overarching thing here is literally building the common ground back into our culture. And that there seems to be a pile up in terms of the pace at which we've been given incentives and the pace at which the healing has to happen if that makes any sense
1: yeah absolutely um well i, th- I think this is a good time to mention a few things par- partly because a couple of those examples i've been giving i think are really like white dominant fields um and i think when people use the phrase our culture i often have cognitive dissonance happen and i'm slightly confused because to me, culture is a very pluralistic thing Um, and there are um, it's like in a way the culture of, there is a global culture at this point, there are global structures in place and this kind of thing and some of those structures actively like inhibit and pave over and continue to oppress and genocide other cultures that are in balance and healthy and do have integral relationships with their ancestral traditions. I'm really struck by hmm, the, I don't know, kind of the fragmented nature in a lot of white dominant activists and um kind of business groups that i've interfaced with um there's a lot of really incredible organizing happening there's this group in boston called the ujima project that is i think that they it's kind of like an investment and community business support network for people of color owned businesses and also housing they do um community land trusts to make permanent affordable housing. And um, that's an example of a community kind of self-organizing to make their situation solid and doing a great job at it together. Um, And the, yeah, the, I don't know what, I don't know what it looks like in the end to kind of, I don't a few threads, like, I know some of the healing white folks have to do is like the degree to which our connection with nature culturally was completely decimated by people who grabbed power through the church and used that to burn all of the medicine women um, and systematically wipe out our natural um, yeah, natural medicine traditions, however you think of it. Um, and that that's pretty heavy for people. It's pretty invisible to most people, honestly. Um, there are some people who kind of advocate that, you know, the, all the yelling that we're doing at white people being white supremacists and um, being such, like, disconnected, oblivious people. Um, there, there are some people who advocate that Um, One of the reasons that, uh, or or one of the things we could be doing to um, dismantle that is uh, making sure that white people have more information about decolonization and trauma and just the ancestral trauma and disconnection from healthy community structures, from continuity of ancestral relationships of longevity and these more like decentralized, horizontal, like consent more like mutually consent kind of relationships like Europe there's a point in Europe where um political uh colonization happened whereas it it used to be that you were tried according to the cultural laws of what culture you were from so if you were traveling um and a altercation happened um you were tried according to your cultures like and I don't know how that worked, like logistically, like who who had that information, who knew that? Yeah, I guess that's just like something I read at some point. But um, I think that's, that's, that's interesting. I, and I, I'm continually like trying to read more about that because the more I read about that history, the more I kind of like, I don't know, things kind of open up for me and my body releases and my heart opens and I'm more able to connect with my physical body and nature directly. And that is like, honestly, often as powerful as any of this like nerdy stuff or communication stuff or you know like online infrastructure designing or whatever that i'm doing um so that's something worth mentioning and then yeah i don't know what cross-cultural like healing and balance and reciprocity looks like in the long term i think like the best we can do is practice that locally as much as possible and be kind and and listen to leadership from people of different cultures um and, um, yeah, come together as we, as we can and as, as is requested. Um, those are a few of my thoughts there.
0: Yeah, and it's, it is important to point out I have a bad habit of lapsing into culture in the singular when it seems as though really the drive historically and trans-historically is toward a, a deeper and deeper plural. And, you know, I've had to wrestle with this over the years about, you know, this desire to, you know, the, the residue of the language around coming together and establishing unity, you know, or reestablishing unity. For example, I wonder, as we think about, you know, what the future of human life off-world might be, you know, is it really even a good idea for us to yearn toward some sort of Star Trek, Federation of Planets type thing. You know, especially when we know that global standards have more or less, you know, in many cases, historically been a, a disaster, you know, uh, monocropping, the hyperconnected global financial market in which one failure in one place can cascade and, and ruin everything everywhere. And so, yeah, I, I, I just... I'm curious you know whether you can sort of because this is such a complex multi slash transcultural consideration, what if anything you could point to as the singular common ground for all of these people throughout the network in terms of the shared values and the shared hopes and dreams that are held,
1: yeah. Let's see. I can never remember that. At some point I wrote four goals for us. I know that based on like really deep listening from everyone. Um, and I know that one of them is redistributing wealth. Um, because I think that will full stack kind of address a lot of things. It's like a good place to kind of aim. Um, but the, the first thing that came to mind, uh, and it's actually what our the Bloom Network logo is a picture of. It, it's like this really long process of trying to find the right symbol. Um, but it's actually a visualization of the the feeling of like direct physical relationship with people in community, like literally how you can feel each other and how the actions that you take ripple out into your community, like not just the human community, but the plants and animals and soil and air and everything around you, the water. Um, And there, I think there is a shared harmony or intent for that in Bloom Network in coming to a place of hearing each other and feeling each other in that place and having reciprocity and respect and symbiotic relationships so recognizing the 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 I want to say the word pattern in in that I don't quite know how to explain it but of nurturing life together of nurturing one another um and being that way in community I think that's a really high leverage point and it's it's just like a you know a physical and kind of like way of being sort of thing um but in societal structures that have so many walls and barriers around people um being together in that way or corporate or governance structures where our whole body and our relationship with the ground is not like acknowledged and honored and designed for and included and cared for. Um that is one of the the big flips that needs to happen. Um I think that's maybe like one reason why it's so hard for us to kind of talk about Bloom Network and what's really going on there because it is it is like in a way just like a very physical like community relationships kind of thing and like abstracting that is hard.
0: <laughs> mm. So whose perspective is unwittingly missing from this conversation? If, you know, obviously and rightly, you know, you're you're sort of uncomfortable abstracting on behalf of the entire network. How do we compress or is compressibility even desirable here?
1: Yeah, I think that's really helpful for me to hear you say that, because more and more, I think we're about to kind of switch the lights on through Bloom Network of... the point the whole time has been just to like release the potential of people to speak directly through it it's not like we're just trying to platform a few thought leaders or whatever it's like we're just building an infrastructure for people to communicate with each other and share resources and share love and art and nurturing and inspiration and um because culture, like the the way in which we sometimes use that word, like monoculture, maybe like pop culture and stuff, it just it it could be so much more interesting and fulfilling and loving and beautiful. And there's like so many infinite ceilings we haven't even explored yet together. Um, arguably, in the I don't know, maybe in the past and in other timelines and stuff. There I I have met people, people who. They definitely go to places that I one day would love to learn Shipibo so that I can even enter into that conversation a little bit with them. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, I just want to segue into like, how much indigenous languages are freaking awesome. And if you can hear them and hear the native people near you speaking their language, like it, oh man there there's it's so awesome. I love how I love how I love listening to other languages. I love li- love listening to other people's voices and perspectives and like that act of listening to each other rather than talking at each other or trying to um you know make each other act a certain way through our agenda. Like that the act of receptive listening and having social structures where we are audible to each other in healthy ways. Um, I think that is my answer to your question.
0: Well, that kind of obviates the question I normally end this show with in an interesting way, because ordinarily I end by asking how things might change for you if you take the future as a given, as a real thing, as a thing that exists, and therefore the people in it are, are not just some sort of abstract possibility, but are present in the way that, you know, the, the ancestors are present in this conversation. And how does that change the conversation? You know, normally I ask folks, like, what might they say? But it does sound to me like you'd be more inclined to listen. I don't know. What do you think?
1: Oh, I like that. Yeah, there's actually a... um. There is a practice called constellation therapy, and there is a version of it called systemic constellation. Um, Very few people practice that, but I think they're mostly on the East Coast, the Northeast of the US um, so far. But one of the things they have you do is you like pair up and embody um, the person is, I think your grandchild. And then I think you trade or you go around in the circle and pair with, like, a different person. And then you, I think you just stare at that person and then experience what your life with that person is like, kind of like your future ancestor. Um, And it's totally silent. And then you you talk about it afterward. But um, just FYI, that that practice exists. Um, Yeah, that's fun. I mean, that makes me also think about meditating on that I guess Um, so kind of supporting myself because this work is like really really fucking hard and intense and like big it's a big load Um, so I think that and for any of us like this transition of really feeling the planet like the, the whole planetary body is out of balance Like I don't think we're used to tuning in quite like that and under stress um but yeah it's helpful to think about a time in the future where you know children and my peers and family whatever that looks like are healthy and thriving um and kind of connect with that as a um as a support in a community almost like a trans time community um to help anchor myself kind of outside of fear and know that I have that. um, I don't know how to describe it other than solidarity with the the, the possibilities of being in right action now.
0: Well, I'll take that. That's a great answer. Where would you send people who are interested in learning more, who would like to get more involved?
1: Let's see. So Bloom Network's website is a good resource. Um, Within a month or two after pollination, it's going to be a much more robust resource. We'll have a lot of our wiki fleshed out and stuff like that. so bloomnetwork.org is that URL, and you can find there if there is a local Bloom chapter near you, or you can contact us to start one. You can email us at community at and, you know, you can do that on a really easy basis, just like potlucks or something more elaborate, um, and... Yeah, that will kind of give you, if you're looking for entry points to some of these concepts, you'll start to be able to find that a little bit there. I would say the there's a um, wiki, if you look on the resources tab on our website, there's a link to a wiki and there is a um, an index there like that I've kind of sort of like a concept architecture of different kinds of regenerative practices. It's kind of a rough sketch um, of like the backend tagging system of our website um, in the future. <laughs> um, but if you uh, just want like a smattering of like the different practices that are out there and like rabbit holes you can go down, um, that's a good one. And again, you can ping us at community at bloomnetwork.org. Like if there's a specific thing you're interested in, um, we're happy to respond. Um, we can always shoot an email out to our, like, our listserv of organizers. Um, or our members being like, "Hey, does anyone have a uh, um, insights on this situation?" You can join our community calls. They're every third Monday at six o'clock p.m. Pacific time. Um, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and LinkedIn as Bloom Network. I think on Twitter and Facebook we're our Bloom Network. O U R Bloom Network. Um, and yeah, if you're in San Francisco or feel like traveling to it next weekend. Um, I'm not sure when you'll publish this show, but that's August 17th and 18th at impact hub in San Francisco. And so that'll be a really good embodied experience with a, a bunch of leaders from different social movements and people working on all of the systems change stuff. Um, so that'll be a really interesting community of people. Um, and yeah, just really encourage you in your local town as well to kind of step outside of your comfort zone and listen and, learn and look for what's going on because um, like the best things we can all do right now is you know community gardening if that's available to you or people in your town do that it's a really good way to like make, meet really solid community and really real people and kind of reconnect with that if you're feeling kind of urban or suburban kind of disconnection or isolation that's like a really good good entry, entry point um and yeah, and like restorative justice, transformative justice, really recommend looking that up, finding out what that is. Um, and yeah, I am. you can find my email uh, on my website at imaginationhealer.com if you want to contact me directly. I'm pretty overwhelmed with communications at the moment, but I can try to get back to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but for most Bloom Network stuff, um, yeah, bloomnetwork.org is the place to um, get connected and you'll find other initiatives there too. Like what we're trying to do is build out our organizational membership model and the wiki to point to um, the organizations who are doing the work um, in all of these areas. Uh, And then also ideally point you to who in your city is, is doing that kind of thing. Um, Because we're, we're just like, like you said, kind of a, a, a switchboard. Um, or, like, a routing engine for people to find. Because, yeah, there's, like, organizations and initiatives and crews that are doing specific things, like, super, super well and have really deep knowledge and wisdom and ancestral experience and stuff. Um, so there's a whole, whole world of regenerative cultures spectrum stuff out there to get your feet in, get your heart in. Um, yeah.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. That alone ought to give pretty much anyone listening more to dig into than they have time for, sadly. (laughs) (laughs) But I really appreciate it, Magenta. It's always a pleasure to catch up with you, and I really appreciate having you back on the show.
1: Yeah, really nice to talk with you too, Michael. Thank you for the opportunity.
0: Yeah, and and good luck with the conference. It's really exciting, and I I look forward to seeing what fruit you grow on that tree.
1: Thank you. Much love to you and your family and your little ones. Oh, yeah.
0: Thanks for listening to Future Fossils podcast is a part of the MindPod network along with numerous other excellent programs go to mindpodnetwork.com and subscribe to them all if you'd like to help support future fossils consider giving this show a five-star itunes review or sharing it with someone you think might appreciate these conversations for more episodes, show notes, copious extras including music, art, the Future Fossils Coloring Book, and Book Club, and more, visit patreon.com/michael Garfield.